with us regularly. We've been following the story of Moses. We've been seeing this extraordinary deliverance, how God intervened in his sovereign purpose to bring about the next phase of his plan, which he uh, issued to Abraham before, that through this family, through this company of descendants, through this seed, he was going to ultimately bless the whole world. Of course, that was going to come through the Messiah, through Jesus, ultimately. But here, these people are carrying God's blessing, God's favor. They're his special people that he is showing his love to. And last time, we saw them crossing the Red Sea. And then after that, we saw this terrific song of Moses. Uh, they're on a real high, euphoria, joy, delight. They're no longer slaves after being generations of slavery. And now they're free, now they're on a journey. And then we read uh, the following words. So in the same chapter we were last looking at, Exodus 15, and uh, we'll start at verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it's named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log or a tree. Depends which Bible translation you look. We'll come to that later. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Father, thank you so much, ever faithful God. We love singing your praise. We love putting our trust in you. How steady is your hand. We so love these truths, Father. We thank you for your unchanging character. Lord, we love being in your presence together. Lord, thank you for the love we feel for one another. Lord, the friendship, the bonds of love. We give you the praise, Father. Lord, we thank you for your word that sheds light on our paths. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you just rest upon us right now? Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Lead us into truth, we pray. May the truth do us good. May it fortify us for life. May it help us, Lord. I pray for everyone listening. We might be helped to live the Christian life because your word has come to us. So, Spirit of God, would you do that, please? We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've seen these two million people 
extraordinarily delivered from the mighty Pharaoh, the slavery they've been enduring for generations, the kind of hopelessness that they must have experienced, that there's no way out, there's no hope. Suddenly a deliverer in Moses, God having raised him up, trained him, and uh, increasingly manifested his power. So through the plagues and the signs and the wonders, they are actually delivered from slavery. They encounter the blockage of the Red Sea, but it only opens up, and through they go. The Egyptian army is wiped out. And not only that, they're told to spoil the Egyptians. It's like taking 400 years of back pay. They go out carrying lots of gold and silver and precious things. And I mean, life is unbelievably wonderful. Uh, Everything's dramatically changed. And you can hardly imagine the euphoria and excitement of these people who for generations had no hope, despondency, despair, no sign of God. Suddenly God's on the scene. Suddenly there's a mighty deliverer. Suddenly they're on the move. Not only are they on the move, but last time we looked at this terrific prophetic song Exodus 15, the first part of that chapter, which is actually like the first psalm of the Bible. And he sings out not only his expression of thanksgiving, Lord, you're a warrior. Who's like you? You're glorious. You're wonderful. He also goes on into the prophetic and starts saying, you will bring them into the land. You'll give us the mountain of God. You'll have your sanctuary there. So he's looking into the future. He's giving them a sense of significance, of destiny. That They're not just escapee slaves running for it. They're a gathered people. They're on a journey. They have significance. God's with them. It's just wonderful. And then you get that kind of ominous phrase. So he led them into the wilderness. You think, hmm? Wait a minute, let them in. Kind of familiar ring when you think of the baptism of Jesus, actually. But they got led into the wilderness. They're on a journey. And they're going to find that this journey is not necessarily everything you choose. Because as they start on this journey, they find there is no water. There's no water. Well, I guess for the first day, You get on with that, don't you? I mean, you're carried by the euphoria. Uh, This is so exciting. God's spoken of our future. The slavery's behind us. I guess for one day, uh, that's okay. You cope. You get on with it. You can handle the pressure. Uh, There's enough momentum in our spirit to carry us through that. Uh, But second day, I mean, it's pretty hot in the Middle East. And the sun's bearing down. And uh, there are 600,000 men but there are wives and there are children and there's no water for two days. And then three days and there's no, there's no water. There's just, uh, it's not what I expect. This isn't what I expected. This is not what I, sound, I signed up for. Uh, this isn't what Moses was singing about. I mean, he was talking about something wonderful, wasn't he? But I, we, I mean, we're without water for three days, not just in British climate, but in that climate. And uh, you just ponder that for a moment. Think about that for a minute. And uh, hey, w- this, isn't, this isn't the journey I, I signed up for. You know, we heard this morning about people, people signing up, you know, joining. Hey, this sounds fun. Uh, but then no water for three days in intense heat. And the, the fear element that comes. And this is an extraordinary thing that actually there's a glory cloud up there. They're being led supernaturally by God. God is supernaturally leading them, but it's not helping me where I am. 
It's all very well knowing some things about this amazing God, but I'm thirsty, and my kids are thirsty, and this is getting to be very scary now. Now this is life-threatening. This is real danger. The children are screaming, and people are in real problems. This is not what I expected. Of course, the Bible says this. All these stories are written down for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. They're all written down for the, for the Christian to read, to be fortified by, to be helped by, to see these scriptures come into our lives and think, hey, that's relevant, that's relevant. Because actually it is. We, we can start off in the Christian life and it's possible actually to kind of talk about Christianity as though it's the answer to every problem you'll ever face and make it sound very easy. And, and often we'll hit difficult seasons which we weren't we know we didn't fit that in that wasn't written in my diary I didn't expect that to come along that wasn't what that wasn't what we were projecting that's that's not what we were planning for I was just following the cloud I'm with the Lord we're going to the mountain of God and what's all this about what's going on here and they meet with real pressures we can find that events that we never anticipated suddenly are thrown across our path. We didn't anticipate that. There's no way you knew that was going to happen. And suddenly you're facing a massive event. Sometimes people let you down. Your difficulties with, you know, you become a Christian, you think, oh, they'll all be thrilled to hear this. You know, I found God. And hey, you can find God. Nah, we're not interested. And suddenly you're the odd one out in the office. You're the one people don't speak to so often the one that sometimes you come in the room and they're talking and they all look at you and you hear the little chuckle and it all goes quiet and, hey, this, this isn't much fun. I'm being isolated. I didn't anticipate this. I thought, I thought they'd be happy. I've found peace and now they're just calling me funny, religious, and, and that's not pleasant. So we hit things we didn't anticipate. We get difficulties. Even family can turn off us because, well, you've become a Christian now. And other pressures we find, which we didn't anticipate that, we suddenly find that actually not all Christians are perfect. Uh, we thought they were. Uh, we thought, oh, they're so lovely. Um, but after a little while, you find, actually, she doesn't seem to think about me when she says those things. And why was I left off that list? Why didn't I think, why didn't I get told? And, and I don't know, they don't seem to be very considerate all the time. And things we never anticipated. We, didn't, we thought they would be lovely, and they're not. Uh, they're all sinners getting saved, and all at different stages of transition. And we often find we're being let down. We find they're inconsistent. We didn't expect this. We didn't expect this. This is unpleasant. And you know, I thought I was joining this, but there's a lot of, it's like having a stone in your shoe. What's going on here? I didn't expect this. And then probably worst of all, you find in yourself I'm still thirsty for things I didn't think I would be thirsty for. You're kind of shocked at yourself. You think, oh, gosh, I still lose my temper. I still get depressed. I didn't think I'd still want those things. I, and suddenly you find not only are there problems out there, there's thirst in here that you didn't expect you'd have. Because, well, I found God now. I've got the cloud glory. I'm following God. But suddenly in my heart I find, hey, I need other things as well and I find I'm in a battle I find I'm being challenged and big big questions are being asked I still get depressed I was shown a book this last week by a friend of mine called John Hosier called The, the Sufferings of Spurgeon 
strange little book. But that man, you may or may not know, he's probably the greatest preacher this country's ever seen. He led a, what would be called a mega church in these days, but a century or two back in the heart of London. He preached to thousands when he was actually just 18. He started, I think, early 20s. Thousands flocked in to hear him. And he's full of humor. If you read his sermons, he's amazing. But actually, behind the scenes, he went through huge conflict, doubts, battles, all sorts of things. Spurgeon, yeah, Spurgeon. He's, he's pretty public about it sometimes. He has dark, difficult days. And you think, oh, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. I didn't think I'd still be thirsty. I thought I'd be okay. And that's the biggest shock of all when you begin to find difficulties in yourself. You think, gosh, I don't seem to have grace for her. And that guy really turns me off. I thought I'd be all right with them. And you, you're a bit disappointed with yourself. You feel, hey, I'm not all that I'd hoped I would be. We sometimes sing songs like this. You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. It's a wonderful song. I remember once we were singing it in the church in Brighton when I was leading there. And uh, I just felt prompted to go to the mic and say, you know, this is a real song of faith. It's, it's a hard song to sing, actually. I don't know if you realize that as you're singing it. You're all I want. Are we really singing that with faith? Do we really mean that? Because life's tough. Life is tough. Life is demanding. Life is lonely. You can have horrible setbacks. You have fear in the night. Is this ever going to end? Will I ever get through this sickness? What's going to happen to my parents? What's going to happen to my teenage kid? You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. Wait a minute. Is that true? I was just trying to encourage people to say, actually, there's truth there. There really is truth there. But we don't benefit from singing it without thinking about it, without pondering, what am I saying? What do I really mean? Because that will be tested. That will be often tested by setbacks and things in yourself you wish weren't there. And yet to be able to sing with confidence. And we're going to see how God does answer their need. And God comes. We get into big challenges. Now I want to just underline three days is a long time without water in that climate. In that climate. We think it's about these little children. Some people have been in Nepal in you know the underground for how long? They survived? You think how on earth did they do that? How did they do that? And there's two million people like that. And they're pressing on through the wilderness. And then we find this extraordinary thing happens. They discover water. I can imagine, you know, there's a, there's a whole crowd, two million. And I guess there's some in front and there's some in the back. Uh, and I guess the word goes back. Perhaps they, uh, they begin to sniff, hey, there's, there's water. There's water. And the huge excitement as the message comes back through the two million people. There's water. There's water. Oh, it's over. We're through. It's over. The cry, ah, there is water. Oh, wonderful. There's water. There's water. Hopes rise. Joy abounds. And you can't drink it because it's bitter. Now, that's tougher than no water on the horizon. That's one of the hardest things to cope with when your hopes get lifted. You think, oh, thank God it's over. Thank God we've sold the house. <laughs> thank God I got the job. Thank God, yes, it looks like she will marry me. I mean, all sorts of things you, it's, we're through, it's going to happen. And then, crash. 
That is harder than anything. And this is what happened to these poor people, that their hopes were raised for a minute. We're through. We're through this thing. It's over. The test is over. We can all know there are trials and seasons. The season is over. But it isn't. It's worse than ever. You can't drink it. You can't drink the water. You can't touch it. The deep disappointment, disillusionment that sweeps through. And I want to just remind you again, the glory cloud's still there. This sense, well, I know there's a God. I know he's, you know, I know he's there. You know how steady is his hand. What about me? And that's what that's the that's the real danger time. It's not like I don't believe in the cloud anymore. It's there, day and night. You know there's a God. But he's not meeting your need. He's not answering you. He's not coming to where you are. And he allowed your hopes to be raised only to be dashed. That's the story. That's what we're reading about here. You get even in the Psalms. The Psalms are so honest, don't they? Oh, for the wings of a dove that I might fly away. It's like, can I get out of this? Is there some escape route? That's your first uh, response, isn't it? I want to get out of this. And the psalmist so honestly said, oh, for the wings of a dove, I want to get out. Well, happily, the psalm doesn't finish there, but it hits that. And you will know times when you think, if only we could escape this, this problem with these neighbors, this problem with this, this. If only, is there any way out of this? Oh, for the wings of a dove. We might begin to think, oh, I'll blow the cloud. And I think I'm going to go back. And that terrible taking away from your confidence in God, when you think, what's the point? Are you going to go to church now? I don't think I'll bother. And that sense of, well, I, it doesn't work for me. I'm beginning to throw in the towel. And I think even worse, to be honest, is when some people buy into a kind of a cynicism that acknowledges the facts but doesn't really celebrate them. I know when I first got converted, I was shocked when I first started meeting that. I was saved from a very ungodly world and joined a youth group. And many of the youth... It shocked me that they, they weren't very interested in it. And I was so amazed that you could be saved. You could know you're going to go to heaven. You can know all your sins are forgiven. I mean, this is radical. I'd never, ever heard this all my life. And it was so exciting. And they knew about it, but hmm. And you can, you can settle for a Christianity that's not very biblical. You can settle for something that knows all the facts, but it doesn't do much for you. It doesn't actually answer your needs. It doesn't actually excite you know it's true. You, you know, yeah, I believe that. I believe it since I don't know how old. But you don't feel there's any life there. You don't feel these people are feeding on this. They're not being helped by this. They're not running into battles like we just heard about David. They're just drifting through life. But they know it. But they've settled for a kind of cynicism. A kind of, yeah, well, I used to believe that stuff. I always think about Joseph when he was, you know, he saw his vision my brothers are going to bow down. God's got something for me. I have a role for God. God's got a call on my life, something special about my life. I don't know why, but he's somehow chosen me, he's shown me something. And then what happens? Well, he gets sold uh, down into Egypt. You know, everything gets dashed. He's just a slave in the household. And then the wife of the guy who who's owns him as a slave lies about him. He gets thrown into prison. And then a guy comes into the prison and says, I've had a dream. 
I think if I was Joseph, I'd have said, yeah, I used to have dreams. Yeah, forget dreams. Now, Joseph was wonderful. What is, what is his first line? His first line says, tell me your dream. That's the most wonderful, I think it's one of the most wonderful words in the story of Joseph. I think if we were Joseph, you'd think, yeah, dreams, yeah, forget it. And promises from God, forget it. That's, the, that's for the young, naive Christian. We've grown up as Christians. We're not really, you know, we don't expect that. And it's possible, dear friends, to, to settle there, to settle in a kind of halfway house where you haven't abandoned the cloud. Yeah, you know, we're following the cloud. But there's not much excitement about it. Because, well, it, didn't really, it doesn't really meet your need. It doesn't help you with your actual relationships that I struggle with. It doesn't help me get on with that guy. It doesn't help me at work. It doesn't help me with my internal problems, the things I'm still thirsty for. It doesn't actually help me. There's no way through. You just follow the cloud, but you're not actually, your needs are not actually met. And some people think that is the Christian life. It's like you get saved, and then you just do what you can. And that's not what this story is telling us. But it's possible to go there. It's possible to take that as an alternative. You just settle for that. And beloved, as we, as we grow as a church and we welcome new friends in, we want to say, that's not what we're into. We're into a faith that proves God, that experiences God, that finds that God is enough. But we need to see how the story comes through so that we don't give in to bitterness. We don't lower our goals. We don't yield to a kind of halfway house of faith. We don't become worldly wise. Yeah, you can be enthusiastic, but don't be so. When the Spirit began to be poured out on some of the churches freshly, you met a lot of, oh, don't get so excited about God. Why not? (laughs) This is the most wonderful thing I've found. Well, I've known him for years, but then we want to retain that excitement, that wonder that the mighty eternal God has broken into our lives and makes great promises and actually is going to solve this problem. See, they're still following the cloud, but they're bitter. They complained against Moses. See, murmuring is one of the big sins of Israel. It gets referred to often. In the Old Testament, it's referred to some 10 times in the books of Moses. They, they murmured, they murmured, they murmured. They're following the cloud, but they're murmuring. And they're often murmuring against Moses. You don't sort of murmur against God too often. You know, it's God. So it's easy to murmur about people. Know, calls himself this. What do you think about that? And, and that's, you get into the New Testament, it says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Work out your salvation. God's at work in you. Murmuring and complaining, it's, it's, it's not appropriate to the people of God. It's a foreign thing. And so we need to put it away from us. But this was happening here. They start murmuring against Moses. They start speaking against him. And then it says, Moses, cry to the Lord, God help. And then you get this strange phrase. The Lord showed him a tree. ESV says showed him a log. Showed him wood. You look at different Bible translations and you'll find interestingly there's a reference to a tree, to wood, to a log. We'll look at it in the New Testament as well. In some ways it's rather strange. It's a bit like some of Elisha's strange miracles. You know, some of the strange miracles Elisha did. Think, what on earth was that? Strange. You know, put this in it, do that with it. It's a bit like that. But in other ways, because of it being a tree, because of it being wood, 
down through the centuries, preachers have seen a reference to the cross. If you go back even as far to, to Matthew Henry, one of the, the, the earliest, most famous commentators ever, he talks about the cross. And people have talked about it in those terms. Let me remind you of some New Testament phrases that are similar. Acts 5.30, it says, Jesus, whom you killed and hanged on a tree. In the margin, it says, on wood. <laughs> but it says, you hang him on a tree. Again, Acts 10.39, they slew him and hanged him on a tree. Galatians 3.13, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then in Deuteronomy and chapter 21, you get this statement about they're hanging people up. And it's an interesting thing. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23, it says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on that tree. You shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Their thought was, if someone has committed a sin grievous enough, yes, he may be executed. But when you've executed, you've done all you can as a human being. And so they would then hang him up that God might curse him. That's the thinking behind it. This guy is such an offense to the people, such an offense to us as a nation. Let him be cursed. And the cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that phrase is picked right up and brought into the New Testament and particularly into the book of Galatians where it talks about Jesus who's carried our curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, hangs on wood, who's hung up there, carrying away. It's like we've done what we can. We can take his life from him, but we can't do any more. God, you can curse him. And there Jesus took away our curse, took away everything that was against us. And that's what the book of Galatians brings out in the New Testament, that Jesus took that place. But it's interesting, it says here, he showed him. It's an interesting phrase. It doesn't say he saw a tree. It says he showed him a tree. It's like he directed his gaze and gave him revelation. And that's what it says about the cross in the New Testament. That we need a cross, we need a revelation to see what the cross is all about. It's not logical to see a man who's dying on a cross has got anything to do with my life. It's not logical to think this is going to be God's way of salvation. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. It needs God to show me it. It needs God to reveal it. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Jews ask for signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to us who believe the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now God opens our eyes that the cross, which is just a disgusting way of executing people, and in the Old Testament has this additional thing, it's where a curse is registered, that somehow in this blackest possible thing that can happen, that for a Jewish man to think that the Messiah should be crucified is foolishness, utter foolishness. And for the Greek, come on, let's talk philosophy. 
Let's hear your ideas. I'll tell you my ideas. And Paul went out into the nations. He went to Athens. He went to great cities of the modern world in those days and preached a crucified man. It's foolishness. Unless God opens your eyes and shows you that there God put our guilt upon him. God took our guilt, our shame, and sent this perfect, innocent lamb who bore our sin away. And it becomes the power of God and the, and the mercy of God to us. As we understand, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give up my life a ransom for many. I came to pay the price. I came to be the servant that God, it says in Isaiah 53, he is smitten of God. God afflicted him. God put our sin on him. We've everyone turned to our own way, but the Lord laid on him the guilt of us all. When we see it, when we understand it, this wood changes everything. This cross changes everything. This cross delivers us from the horror of judgment. Derek Tidball says, there's only one place where God has chosen to make himself fully known in order to save men and women, and that is the cross of Christ. There's only one place. God's shown himself in so many various ways, but there's only one place that he's given a full revelation of his holiness and his love, and it's on the cross, where my conscience is cleansed, where forgiveness is available, where mercy comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That gets thrown into the situation and the bitter is made sweet. But let me just press on in this. We know that for conversion. When we first see, when we're suddenly shown the cross, we suddenly understand that's the place of triumph. That's where God worked out his judgment. That's where God demonstrated his love. That's where someone, a perfect lamb, bore away the wrath of a holy God for all time. Where all the handwriting that was against us is nailed to his cross. And, and, and people centuries later can write great songs and hymns, my sin Oh, the thrill of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Amazing song. That song starts with verses like, when, when sorrows like billows run over my soul. You know, the guy who wrote that hymn, he had news that his wife and children on a, on a boat had all been destroyed. The boat was sunk. He lost his whole family. And he wrote that hymn, when sorrows like bee, sea billows go over my soul. Sorrow is just overwhelming me. And then it's, I, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But this cross doesn't just blot out guilt. It doesn't just save us for eternity, it saves us in the bitterness of life. Right? The cross keeps on saving us. It takes away the bitterness. We have to understand that's what that man learned when he wrote that. I mean, people have been singing that hymn ever since. They love to sing, it's well with my soul. But he wrote it when he lost his whole family. When he, when he understood, no, God's with me. God's for me. God's, God's looking after me. And he triumphed. He, th he threw the wood 
into the bitterness. See, it's, it's an action we have to take. It's something we have to do. Otherwise, bitterness will take over. Murmuring can become your lifestyle. You just complain. You just get fed up. You just wander through. And we settle for it. But that's not... We See, you don't get saved and then become a stoic. You don't become saved and then use willpower. You don't become saved and think, well, my school taught me this, or, you know, I'm supposed to be this, and I should try and... I must try harder. That is not how we live the Christian life. We have to, have to come back as this dear man when he wrote the hymn and say, no, look, this is, I've lost everything. I've lost my wife, I've lost my children. It is well, it is well with my soul. I had a huge privilege once when I was uh, in China and I met a man called Alan Ewan. We were smuggling Bibles in, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago now and uh, went into this uh, hotel room where we were going to meet a pastor and a Chinese pastor turned up, and he's now in his early 80s, but he's as bright as anything, absolutely bright. And uh, he sat, I remember he sat on the floor, we're sitting on chairs, we said, oh no, it's okay, he sat on the floor. And he began to tell us his story. And I said, uh, tell me. He said, well, when I, was, when I was 44, and he had a wife and six children, he was taken by the communists and put in prison. And he was in prison for 21 years. And they had no contact. In fact, Wendy stumbled on a book of a story of a number of godly women, and one of them is his wife. And she was proposed to by a number of godly men. So, look, I'll care for you and your six children. I'll look after you. I'll marry you. And she said, no, no, he, could, he may still be alive. He may still be alive. And she waited. And he was in prison for 21 years. And when he was 65, they obviously thought, well, he's finished. When he's 65, chuck him out. So they threw him out of prison. When I met him, he's like in his early 80s. And he's, I mean, his face is shining with joy. And, and I said to him, and he told us this story. I mean, he told us lots more details I haven't gone into. I said, you've suffered so much. And his face shone. And he simply said, nothing compares with the cross. I'll never forget it. I think it's one of the greatest privileges of my life to even meet the man. He just said, see, he was, he was untouched. It's like those guys, they took him out of the flames. You remember, they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they took them out and said, they didn't even smell of smoke. They didn't even smell of smoke. This guy's, this guy's come out 21 years in prison. He didn't smell of it. You felt, wow, what a triumph in this man's heart. And when I got home sometime later, I was looking at a, a magazine about the Far East. And was, Alan, Alan Ewan, what's he's under house arrest. He baptized 400 people in one day. You know, he's finished at 65. He's about 85 then. He baptized 400 people in one day. They put him under house arrest. I think This guy, you're not going to stop him. He's done 21 years. And he's not touched by it. See, beloved, he, he, nothing compares with the cross. Oh, the bitterness, my wife. I th when he told me that, I thought, boy, I've got five kids. Imagine when, when I was, I tried to imagine it, you know, when I was 44, you know, you're watching this happen, and then you don't see them again until you're 65. You don't know where they are. I mean, talk about bitterness. You think, how do you, how do you cope with that? He threw the cross into it. Nothing compares to the cross, he said radiantly. 
Beloved, the cross saves us. It keeps on saving us. When I, when I was, if I can bear the personal testimony, I was very backslidden when I first got saved. The, then I had a crisis of conviction. And as far as I knew how, I gave myself absolutely to God. I thought, well, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be Christian now. And um, I remember I was 21. And, uh, and summer holidays came round. Well, summer holidays were outrageous times. I used to do terrible things on my summer holidays. I thought, well, I'm going to do something holy. And... Um, I'm going to go to the Keswick Convention. It's a famous Christian convention. I'm going to it. Well, I used to drive a scooter. But, I mean, I didn't know a thing. Uh, I, you know, you, when you live in Brighton, you drive a scooter around town all the time. I'd just jump on it and jump off it. That was before the days of crash helmets. I might never had a crash helmet. And I didn't have any leather gloves or anything. It was just a scooter. And so I'm just jumping on and off it, a short T-shirt and, you know, driving around. So let's go to Keswick on my scooter. So I never, I mean, I didn't realize how stupid it was. I had a clue. I thought, of course, I go, you know, I go into Brighton on the scooter, I go, get it on the scooter. So a friend of mine, we said, okay, let's go on the scooter. So we go. And we go, right, as before, this is before the motorways, all right? I go back a long way. And so you're going right up, you know, I remember going up Hyde Park and round in my scooter. Traffic, man, alive. And, you know, we've been, and I got a mountain up, going up through now. And I think it was the A5. We go over the Peak District. Wow, this is beautiful. And driving along, and suddenly these clouds move in. I mean, clouds. That's black. That sky's black, and that's that's coming over. It's coming. It's coming. I'm shouting to my friend, like that looks a bit, you know. We're just short sleeve shirts, no, no helmet, nothing. That looks a bit dodgy, you know. And uh, we're driving through the Peak District, and it goes on forever, and the clouds fill the sky, and it starts raining. And not only is it raining, it's hailstones. <laughs> and I haven't got goggles or anything like that. You know, I'm just a scooter driver. So I, and I said, wow, what is this? And there's, there's nowhere you can hide. I mean, there's just bleak hills. And this road that goes on and on. And there's the road. And, and there's nowhere. I mean, nothing. So you're out there. Oh, wow. And every hailstone is going in my eye. Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And my fingers are absolutely, ow, ow. These hails are, ow, ow, it's like daggers, ow, ow. And we're driving along, ah, oh, my friend, ah, oh, what's your, what are you doing, ah. You know, he's going along. And do you know, this is the honest truth. I was 21, but it's the honest truth. I remember I suddenly thought of Jesus' hands. And I suddenly thought of Jesus' brow. It just came to mind. I thought, Jesus, what you went through. And I, I started shouting it to my you can scooter engine, wind through your ears, you know. I, hey, we Jesus on the ground. I'm shouting to my friend. And so he says, yeah, I, I talked to him about it. And so we start singing. We're driving along. Praise the Lord, praise our Lord. Let the earth hear his voice, you know. And honestly, beloved, it's so silly. I mean, 21 years in prison is a bit more impressive. But in, <laughs> for me, it was... Uh, amazing experience I'll never forget I'll never forget suddenly the cross suddenly it freed us we were singing anyone nearby would have thought what are those crazy guys doing we sang and sang we just drove through it we drove right through it. we never stopped we were going through it but singing see I believe that's what the early church was like Paul come over to Macedonia we've seen a vision whoa 
Should we go this way? No. This way? No. What's going on? There's a vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Wow, let's go to Macedonia. What happens? Well, they get beaten up and thrown in prison. So what happens? They're singing praise in prison. They're worshipping God in prison. They're trusting God. You, we, we have to... You get saved from all your guilt by the cross, but you get saved from your bitterness through the cross. Why is this happening to me? I gave up my summer holiday for you. I'm going to a Christian convention. I thought the sun would shine all the time. I've never done anything like it. It's costing me money. I'm going to this jolly dinner. What are you doing to me? And suddenly, suddenly I thought of his hands. Suddenly I thought of his brow. It changed it. It just changed it. Jesus saves us in every circumstance if we come to the cross. He changes the bitter to sweet. That's what happened. Put the wood in the water and it became sweet. But beloved, you have to do it. He showed him, it's a revel- it comes with revelation, he showed him the cross. It wasn't, oh look, I found it. No, you haven't found anything. God showed it to him. God showed him the cross. It's one of the, priv- the whole Christian life is a revelation. If God didn't show us, we wouldn't know anything. He's revealed himself to us. And he shows you something of the wonder of the cross. That God, when, when Christ came down to become man, that was incredible. When he went down from man on the cross, that's unspeakable. He came down from heaven, came down to be a human being, came to the cross where he was cursed, went down to hell on the cross. He did that for me. It changes everything. I belong to him, he belongs to us. And so what what do we do? What's the practical expression of this? Well, let me just remind you of some Bible verses as I draw to a close here. It says in Hebrews 12, run the race, fixing your eyes on Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews, he, he takes us through a wonderful book. He gives you chapter 11 with all these heroes of faith in the Old Testament. He says, they're all cheering you on. They're all saying God could be trusted. Then he says, now to you, now you, fix, run the race, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He's our, he's our file leader. He's the one we're, he, this is the one we're following. We're not following Alexander the Great, who said, give me more lands to conquer. We're following one who said, take up your cross and follow me. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross and the shame for the joy set before him. It's something you have to do. Consider it. Not, you consider it. It's a mental process. You know, there are spiritual things. There are things we feel emotionally. Sometimes you can be in a prayer meeting. Woof, here comes the spirit. You can feel sometimes immediate joy bubbling up. The spirit gives you experiences of his presence that are immediate. There's no, it just come. Whoa, joy. Jesus is here. It's wonderful. I love it. There's other times you have to consider Consider him. That's what Alan Ewan did in prison. 21 years without your wife and kids. Nothing compares with the cross. Radium. He considered Jesus. 
have to do it. We have to apply our minds to doing it. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your, in your mind. See, you'll grow weary. These guys haven't drunk for three days. They grow weary. You can hit circumstances. You think, I can't bear this any longer. I can't put up with this any longer. This, is, this, is, this endurance is more than... I, no one should ask this of me. Three days, no water, children, the heat. I shouldn't be asked to do this. If you don't consider him, you'll grow faint in your mind, it says lest you grow weary and faint in your mind. Consider him who endured. Again, Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews 12, the whole chapter is so relevant to this, but we won't do that. Just another verse here. See to it, see these are instructions. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many get defiled. That's the potential of bitterness. It spoils other people too. It gets around. People start tasting it. It can spoil a church when bitterness creeps in. So it says, see to it. This isn't, this isn't like it'll just happen to you. Not let go and let God float in the spirit. No, it doesn't say that. It says, see to it. See to it. Consider. Make, take action. Be responsible believers. Fill your mind with truth. The Christian life is a mixture of letting truth. Paul says, I, I labor, teaching every man, warning every man that I may present every man. I read a silly article the other day. A guy said, oh, the early church didn't have a Bible, just had the Holy Spirit. Well, it's true they didn't have a big black Bible, as he said. Yeah, yeah. But Paul said, day and night with tears I taught you. It's very glib to say, oh, they just had the Holy Spirit. No, he said, I taught you. I admonished you. Why? I want to present you mature. That's his goal in Colossians 1.29. To present you mature, not to present you laying back and floating. Oh, the Spirit. No, to present people mature requires, we have to apply our minds as well. It's lovely when the Spirit fills your sail. When you feel his energy, it's wonderful. But that's not all. We have to consider. We have to take, take every step. Do... See to it that no one comes short. We need to help one another. See, it's like a corporate thing. No one comes short of the grace of God. No root of bitterness growing up. Watch out for one another. If someone's overtaken in a fault, let those who are spiritual help him out of it. Watching out for yourself that you don't get caught. That's what it says. It's a corporate thing. Watch out for one another. Help one another through. The cross sets us free. And Paul says this too in Galatians. The cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's like my expectation isn't, the world can't do it for me. The world can't do it for me. Sometimes we put other idols up that will do it for me. I was counselling a lady a few weeks ago. It was just away two weeks back. And she said, I, still have a, I don't think I'm doing enough for my children. I, I don't spend enough time. I, I don't spend enough. I, I, would you pray for me? I don't think I'm a very good mother. 
And I said, let me ask, ask you a bit about your children. And so she began to say, oh, they're this, they're wonderful. And I said, she said could you live without them? She, oh, I couldn't live without them. I said, do you think maybe they've become everything to you? Oh, they are everything to me. And I had to say, no, that's not how it should be. You will destroy them. You will destroy you if they become everything to you. Because the cross sets us free to understand Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who can actually save you. He's the only one who can satisfy you. He's the only one that actually got enough for you. We knew a couple when we were down in Brighton. The girl was about to get married. And she was writing these things. Saying, oh, this man, he's so wonderful, he's so wonderful, he's so wonderful. I thought, oh dear, this is scary. Because <laughs> she's going to be married to him soon. <laughs> So we had to kind of speak it. Be careful. Well, you're going to meet disappointment. Feet of clay. Only, only Jesus. That's the way it is. He doesn't want us going after other idols. He wants us to have lots of lovely enjoyment. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, but only he can satisfy, actually. It's only his cross that opens up the wonder of his love. And Paul says, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened to understand the love of God, the height and depth, the length, the breadth, to know the love of Christ is enough. And Paul gives a description of all he goes through, beatings and shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff. But he's found, hey, Jesus saves. Have this mind in you who humbled himself. He humbled himself and got through. We need to imitate him, draw near to him, find the strength that he gives. Notice at the end of the chapter, which we mustn't look to now, they came to Elim, 12 springs of water. But beloved, that wasn't what saved them. It was the cross that saved them. It was the cross that saved them. There's a lovely verse that could be put in so many places in the Bible, I won't even bother to tell you where it comes. But Jesus to his disciples one day, what I do now, you don't know. Afterwards, you will understand. You may be in that, dear friends. You may be in that. What I'm doing now. You don't understand. That may be how it is for you. Afterwards, you will understand. They came to Elim. So much water. God could do that any time. He can supply water any time. It's more important you understand what the cross does. It's more, in, more important. So how about you? Are you, cons- you making sure? Consider him. Or you say, ah, doesn't work. Come on, don't be so idealistic. God doesn't really meet your needs. I mean, we know about it. Don't settle for that. I appeal to you. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that. It's not enough. He's the answer. He's the, he is the answer. He's enough for us. He's enough for us. We can prove him. We can know him. We can experience him. And when we ponder his cross, it changes everything. Are you doing it? Please do it. Please take every effort. Fix your eyes. See to it. Okay, let's stand to sing and pray. Thanks, Robin. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now. We thank you, Lord. We, we, we could write over 
what we call Good Friday. What I do now, you don't know. Afterwards, you'll understand. And we praise you so much, Lord. We thank you for your afterwards. We thank you for your mighty, sovereign purposes. We thank you for, Lord, you're enough for us. We love it, Lord. We, we know the cross is enough. We thank you. You laid aside your majesty. You gave up everything for me. You suffered. Lord, we're so grateful. Thank you that you put such a value on our lives. You can take away the bitterness. You can turn bitterness into sweetness. Why don't you just come to Jesus in your heart and say, Lord, please keep me from bitterness. Please don't let bitterness get in. Please forgive me. Deliver me from bitterness. Lord, don't let me go down that road. Help me to trust you. Help me to throw the cross in. Turn it to sweetness, I pray. Make it your prayer. Let's sing our song. Thank you, Robin.